Hello you all welcome back to Run Yogi Diaries this is your host Santosh Shiva Every week I keep thinking the podcast seems to be the best thing I've done in a while Every week I get to speak to some extraordinary people it just baffles my mind what people can do and what they can achieve Have you wondered what the limit of human endurance is and if there is one Today's guest is someone who sets extremely high standards. He's a well-known name in the endurance and ultra running circles. Let's welcome Dane Rosenberg. Hey Dane, welcome How's to Run Yogi Dad. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. You are an accomplished athlete. You just have to look at Google you and uh the entire bio just shows up. So uh, I feel sorry if there's another Dane Rauschenberg on the planet because he's on like page 47 of Google results, you know. There's nothing else out there but me. <laughs> Unique name, right? So Yeah. It's hard to uh, but you must be you must have cousins and relatives with that name, right? No, I have a very small family. Um my mother has a brother and sister and, and obviously they, they don't have the same last name but they have no siblings and they were never married i have one cousin oh i actually have, i have three cousins on my father's side and two i don't really see that often and my and that's it i have one brother so we have a very very small family all right you know i have a lost a long last name my last name has 15 15 uh, digits and um I've uh, every time I travel a lot from my job and every time I go to the airport uh they're nice they don't want to butcher my name so they ask me to pronounce it so um initially I used to get offended I said why don't you pronounce it learn to pronounce my name <laughs> <laughs> but, but now I take it uh, on my stride and I say you know what the longest last name it's a world record so everybody just laughs yeah. out and <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's, it's funny as I go with So I say my pronunciation is Rauschenberg because that's how you pronounce it in German. Uh and most Americans say Rauschenberg. And they're like, "Which way is it?" And I was like, "I don't care." Like <laughs> it's just I mean, just call me Dane. That's that's yeah. that's not hard. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hey Dane, so first off, uh you know, you have had an incredible journey and uh you have uh you are a writer, you're a motivational speaker. So we have a lot to talk about. um that people who listen to this podcast are going to take away a lot from this conversation so i want to start with that incredible project of yours the 52 marathons in 52 weeks you know running one marathon is a project for most people uh it's a bucket list for most people in this planet and then here you are who's done 52 in 52 weeks by the way i didn't even know there were 52 weeks in a year uh <laughs> i'm like wow that's amazing So let's start with that. How did it start? When what were you doing when you thought about this the first time? Tell us about that. Well, it's, you know, it's funny is because when people hear about me having run this, they assume that I've been running my entire life or have been doing marathons and had this plan on the back burner for a long time when I had actually only started running about 2 years prior to running the 52 marathons. And I didn't have any intention on running 52 marathons when i first started that 
you know, I did that first marathon and was like, nope, never again. You know, I'm, I'm, it didn't go well at all. And so I was just, you know, I was like, well, maybe I'll do another one. Like, you know, a few, few months later after the, the one ones I did. And that one didn't really go that well either. And I thought, you know, I did really well at half marathons. And I, I was an 800 meter runner in high school. And so I was like, well, maybe I'm not. Like, I'm, maybe I'm not a distance guy, but maybe I'm like a, a long sprint guy, you know, or a middle distance guy. And I finally had a, a decent marathon. And I realized now, which is what I preached to everybody was, it didn't have anything to do with the course or the training or anything else. It had to do with the weather. And, and I am a horrible runner in hot weather. And my first three marathons were all hot weather. And I listened stupidly to the weather people who are like, it's a beautiful day for running. It's like, well, no, it's a beautiful day for spectating. It's what it is. It's a horrible day for running marathons. So I had just done a few in a row that went really well in a short period of time and kept getting faster and faster, which was what I was told was not supposed to happen. And so really I went from not running at all to running. I qualified for Boston in my fifth marathon and then did four more in the next like three and a half months and kept getting faster. And it was from there that I started planning the 52. So it was really just kind of zero to 60. Wow. So at what point did you decide to do this 52 in 52 weeks? I mean, were you just sitting around and sipping a beverage and thinking, <laughs> hey, what do I do with my life? And this just popped up or how did it, how did you get this idea? Well, when I was finding out that, that for some reason I was really good at recovering quickly from marathons when, you know, you're only supposed to do a couple of years if you're really pushing yourself hard. Here I was getting better and better every month. I thought, well, this would be a great way to see the United States. I was very untraveled at the time. And I thought, what a better way to see this country than to do a marathon in every state. So I was like, well, this will be novel. I bet you nobody's ever done this. And then I looked it up, and this is back in 2005, and there were still like 700 people who had already accomplished the goal. So I was like, well, I don't really like to do things that other people have done. And so I really wish I could remember exactly where the idea came. Um, I guess maybe I just all of a sudden was like, well, I'm good at recovering. How about every weekend? Why not? Let's see if that's even possible. So it was in about – it was right around the Boston Marathon in 2005 where I uh, became uh, acquaintances at the time and have since become good friends with Dave McGilvery, the Boston Marathon race director. And I think I might have floated the idea to him or something like that. And he's, he does amazing events himself and has his entire life. Ran across the entire country, I think at like age 24 or something like that, back when there was no, you know, no aid stations, no, no wicking fabrics and all that sort of thing. And so I started putting it together and by middle of the summer, I was, you know, full into the planning to start it the next January, the first weekend of January. Wow. And did you uh, have, did you figure out the logistics all by yourself or did you have help or uh, how did you go about it? I don't really, uh, I don't want to say trust people, but I, I don't, I like to do everything myself. And so it was, it was all on me because then I know that if something goes wrong, I can only blame myself. And so, you know, I was working a full-time job while I was doing this. You know, a lot of people assume that I took the year off and just kind of gallivanted around, but I was, 
you know, I, I went back to work every Monday through Friday in a patent licensing firm in the Washington, D.C. area. At the same time, I was interviewing to be a counter-espionage anti-terrorism officer in the CIA, which people don't know about and often laugh about. So I was doing all of that and planning and running all these marathons. And I was planning, I was literally planning 104 because I knew I had to make sure that there was a backup marathon for every weekend because people have done similar things, but they would double up or even triple up on some weekends and then take three weeks off in case there was a, a slate of weeks in a row that, where there weren't any marathons. And I kind of wanted to be like Cal Ripken with his streak. I just wanted to make sure that no excuses. I had to find a marathon every weekend. Otherwise, if I didn't do it every weekend, then what's the point of, of putting these goals out there to say, I'm going to do this and then changing it when you fail? Like, well, no, you fail. That's fine. You can fail. And so that was, that was the hardest part was far and away the logistics. I mean, just trying to, because in 2006, when I did this, I think I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was 350 marathons in, in North America. And there's like 1,500 marathons in North America now. So finding them was, was the hardest part. Wow. And, and did you have, did you, you also had to figure out your flight details from one city to another and all of that stuff must have been quite a, quite a, quite a task. And we didn't have Google those days. Did we have Google then? I mean, you couldn't just put a itinerary and boom, you got the whole schedule, right? I'm trying to remember. I think there was Google, but I don't think I know. I know the, I know YouTube had just came out like the previous year. I always remember that. I just remember because uh, there was a gentleman who did an interview with me on, in Park City, Utah, and you know, seeing a video on YouTube. I was like, I'm on YouTube. You know, I thought that was pretty neat. But yeah, Google was in its infancy, I think. But yeah, it was. I, you know, there was a couple of websites that kind of had lists, but I, I kind of was going off of word of mouth and just finding all the races. And then that fall before I started was when Hurricane Katrina hit. And so a lot of the marathons that I was going to do in the, um, the early part of the year were down in the South. And I didn't know if they were going to run. I, you, know, I, you know, so that was when I really started planning every weekend I had to have at least a backup somewhere. And that became one of the hardest parts of the whole thing was, you know, at any point in the year, if just something happened, they decided to cancel a race, then the whole year was kaput. So I just had to put myself in the best position possible to get myself to the starting line. And there was a lot of close calls, not only with air travel, but but I I did one in Tampa that we stood in the starting corral 30 minutes after the race was supposed to start because there had been a storm the previous night and they were still setting up barriers and, and time clocks and everything. So it was it was nerve wracking. That's, that's, that's for sure. Wow. So, um, you know, a lot of folks have um, ideas and dreams, but very few go out and get it done. And obviously you got it done. You even, you even wrote a book on this. So, uh, you know, for folks who want to get into the details of how you actually got it done, uh, there is a book out there. We, we won't have the time to get into all the details, but I do want to ask you one question. Um, did you have low points during this 52 weeks? Did you ever question yourself saying, why am I doing this? Why not just uh, lead a normal life, sip some beer? <laughs> Did you ever feel like that? I mean, it was well, in, when I started planning the event, I was like, I'm just going to do this for myself. And then I found out there was this, the second weekend of the year, there was a marathon in Mobile, Alabama that was benefiting an organization that was called, that is called L'Arche. And it's French for the Arc, like Noah's Ark. 
and they work with mentally and physically handicapped individuals. And I had done a great deal of work like that throughout my life, and I had never heard of this organization. So when I reached out to them just to see if they were holding their marathon around the same time, I also said, hey, would you mind if I also just raise money for you? And this was kind of when fundraising for marathons was in its infancy. I mean, uh, not everybody was, was raising money for something. And so I thought, well, this would be a good way to keep me on track when I do have those low points or I want to quit. Like, well, I can't quit. I've, I've got this on, you know, on my shoulders. So I've, I've, you know, I've got to raise money for these people. And I've seen multiple times since I've done this similar things where people have changed their goals and, you know, the charity doesn't mind. People are forgiving. They understand that things come up, but I didn't want to have any excuses. And so, yeah, I mean, I got tired, but the thing was by planning it my entire self and being, you know, going back to work every Monday through Friday, I didn't really have a lot of time to wallow in what ifs. And so, you know, you finish one marathon and then, okay, what's, what's the next one? You know, make sure I've got my, my airfare, my hotel or, you know, whoever I'm staying with, you know, sleeping on their couch and then making sure that I got my work done so that I could, you know, leave sometimes a little bit early on Friday or something like that. So it wasn't, uh, I don't really get down about too much. Uh, so that, that helped a lot. I mean, that's just something that's ingrained in me is I don't, I don't wallow too much in, in the bad stuff that happens. That's cool. You're like Spock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, so after you've completed this, uh, uh, how was it after you completed? Did, did you change? Did, did something change for you fundamentally in terms of a worldview? Did something change for you physically? Uh, I mean, obviously, 52 weeks, 52 marathons is a, it's an extraordinary effort, right? It's a superhuman effort. Uh, uh, I know you're being very modest about it, but it's a superhuman effort. <laughs> so well, it, it, to answer your question, I mean, I didn't expect to make this my life. This was, you know, like I said, I was interviewing to be in the CIA. I was, you know, had, I had a job. Um, I thought this was something that I would do. It'd be a nice little feather in my hat. And then, you know, I thought maybe occasionally I would give a talk or something, but it was not going to be my life. And my job came to an end. Uh, I, I went through the interviewing process for the CIA. I didn't get in. And so I was just kind of at a crossroads. And I was looking at two particular jobs. And they couldn't have been more diametrically opposed. One was a legal headhunter. I was going to be trying to find jobs for lawyers. And the other was uh, designing long-distance running relay courses for Ragnar out in Utah. Those were the two jobs that I was looking at. And for some reason, I chose the Ragnar one. I moved out to Utah and was with them for a very short period of time. I mean, we, I was only employed with them for 10 weeks, and we just didn't, we didn't click. And somewhere in there, I had done some speaking at corporations to get people excited about Ragnar races, and I had been received pretty well in the speaking circuit. So I thought, well, maybe I can – I mean, I was just throwing everything against the wall at the time. You know, I just uprooted my entire life moved to Utah. thought, what am I going to do? And so I've done a lot of stuff by my – by the seat of my pants, you know, and people ask me, how do you get started in running or how do you start writing a book? And I, I always think that I take the most difficult, hardest way possible. And so I'm like, well, don't do this. This wasn't fun. <laughs> do it, do it a different way. That's so that's, I mean, I really didn't expect to be where I am today where I'm, you know, doing this sort of thing and, and inspiring other people, hopefully. 
absolutely. And in terms of physicality, did it change you uh, in any way, uh, this one year of running? Well, what's interesting is after this and after I did a few other challenging endeavors, I was in a bicycle accident uh, and had to go get some blood work. I, I screwed up my shoulder pretty bad. And my friend who was a doctor said, you have Gilbert syndrome. And I said, she looked at my blood work and I was like, well, what is that? She says, it doesn't make any sense. It's a liver disorder. And I said, oh, when did I get that? She's like, no, you don't get it. You've, you've had it. You're born with it. She's like, what it does is it makes it more difficult for you to recover from strenuous activity. I said, well, wait a minute. That's, that's the one thing I'm good at. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And she's like, you know, she's like, do you ever just like bonk like crazy? And I was like, oh, yeah, I always laugh when people say they bonk. And they go from running like, you know, an eight-minute mile to a nine-minute mile. I'm like, hey, bonk, you just slowed down. I go from running like a 630 to laying on the side of the ground. And she's like, that's your Gilbert syndrome. Like when your body is done, it's done. And what was interesting is not knowing about that and not being big on gadgets when I was running, when I first started, like GPS and things like that, I became really attuned to my body. And I could tell when something bad was coming and how – I might want to run a seven-minute mile, but if I run a 7.20 for these next couple of miles, I'm going to be okay. And so throwing myself into the crucible like I did to go from running six marathons in my life to 52 in a row, I learned a lot about myself that, that a lot of people don't, especially – and this is what I'm most proud of. This is the thing where I, I'm not humble or modest, but I people have done similar things, but they did it – they never – push themselves. I've seen people who've done a certain amount of marathons in a year, but they're well, well below what they could accomplish speed wise. And some people say that doesn't matter. I'm like, of course it matters. That's why we have a clock. That's why we, we run as hard as we can. And so for me to run the 52 marathons and set seven PRs that year, that's the one thing that I was most proud of was, was that was running at or above my personal best. Yeah, and, and you almost did sub two fifty, right? So no, I went sub two. I went sub three for the first time in Niagara Falls in the forty second marathon of the year. So when when people would say how how do you run a sub three hour marathon, I go well run forty one in a row and then go to Niagara Falls and there's your sub three. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Obviously, you have good uh, genes, Dane, because uh, not everyone is going to be at those levels for that. No, absolutely. I mean, but that's what's funny is all the things that, I mean, all the things that we can measure, you know, the VO2 max and all those things that we know how to measure show me as being, I'm, you know, I'm athletic, but there's nothing that goes, oh, okay, that's why he can do this. So mm -hmm. there's obviously something about me that we just don't, we haven't measured, we haven't developed the test yet or something like that. I mean, that's just it is. I've, the older I've gotten and the more I've done, the more I have become less impressed with anything that I've done, because for the most part, how do you say this? It has nothing to do with you. And by that, I mean, like you said, it's your genes, it's your DNA, you know, like I'm six foot one. I didn't do anything to become six foot one. You know, I like, and the same thing with like the fact that I can, for some reason, even though I shouldn't be able to, I can recover quickly from strenuous activity. Well, I shouldn't be able to at all, but I still do. And so I just, I kind of take it, I don't take it for granted at all. I, I just kind of take it for what it is and just like roll with the punches, the whole Spock mentality that you mentioned, just kind of, 
all right, well, that's, that's what that is. And now we'll, we'll go with it. Well, that's a great message because unless you, unless you push your limits, how, how are you going to know what you're capable of? Right. And you're exactly. a classic example of that. Uh, none of those numbers that uh, uh, suggest that you're going to be athletic, but here you are, uh, you right. know, creating new, new, new realities. So for anyone who is sitting around and thinking, Hey, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. Oh, that's so big. Hey, that's a great message, right? Hey, go, go out yeah. there. Give it a shot. Never know. There could be something out there that expresses itself. Well, yeah. And you might, you might fail, but that doesn't mean that you have failed completely. You just didn't do it that time. Like Edison said, he found 10,000 ways to not make a light bulb. You know, <laughs> every time he failed, he's like, well, that, that's not the right way. That's why I try to tell people is just because, you know, I, you know, I just, I just don't think that people really grasp what they can accomplish until they put themselves out there in the field of play, regardless of what that is, athletics, you know, uh, vocational, anything. You just, you've got to go, you're not going to accomplish it if you don't try. Yeah, totally. So that's a good time to pivot into your book, right? And your book says yes. it all. Um, ignore the impossible. Um, and Isn't that uh, a pretty cover. I like that cover. <laughs> it's a nice, it's a nice cover. It's very simple, and that's what nice about it. Uh, simplicity is the most difficult thing to achieve these days. So. Yes, it is. So, um, uh, yeah. So let's get into this book. You want to, yeah. Let give us a bit of an introduction. Uh, how did what inspired you to write this book? Uh, well, this was the first non-running book that I had written. I mean, the rest were obviously about running, but I tried to keep them about life in general and just provide lots of life lessons. But this one was one that I thought that anyone who, didn't matter what they could do, they could pick it up and, and learn what I felt that I had learned from, you know, my life. And it's funny as I meet, you know, friends or I, I, I come across old educators from the past. They're like, oh, you're young, Dane. I'm like, I'm rapidly approaching half a century. So I don't know at what point you're going to allow me to be an adult, but I'm writing a book that has my wisdom in it and you're going to take it and, and deal with it. And that was what the point was, was not that I felt that I knew all the answers, but I figured that I had, I had failed enough. I had succeeded enough that I could at least lay out a framework for people of what I think they could do to avoid the same pitfalls and mistakes that I had. And when I had seen so many other motivational or inspirational books out there, which I really thought preyed on people's insecurities or lack of what they felt that they were uh, good at, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to say, I have the answers. Come to me. I'm the guru. I wanted to say, here are some answers and I hope that they get you past a point that maybe has stopped you and then you can go forward on your own and I'll learn from you. And that's what I have learned about the older I get and the more things I've done is the, the less I know and the less that I've actually accomplished. And so I try to surround myself with as many people doing as many different things as possible. That's a, that's a very, uh, Profound statement. Uh, no, the older you grow, the less you know. I mean, the realization of knowing right. that you know less. Not everyone realizes that. I think it's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> As you grow older, you actually get to realize that you know less. 
Great. So um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about a few of the favorite of my chapters in this book, and okay. um, made a few notes here. So my one of the first chapters that that really hit me, uh, in a in a way it influenced me was uh, the chapter two, which is you, which is called "You Don't Have to, You Get to." Um, and I'll let you talk about that, and I'll let you, I'll talk to you about how it how it influenced me. So. Well, I want to hear what, I want to hear what, how it influenced you. So, like, this is great feedback because it's amazing. I go in and give speaking engagements, or I, I talk about my book, and I put out a message, and I know there's 500 people there, and I'm there's 500 different viewpoints that I'm going to get back. So, I, I want to hear what what you took from it, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, you know, for me, what I really uh, got present to while I was reading that chapter was um, that I can speak for myself that there are times in a day, in a week, that I am I'm, I'm walking around telling myself that I have to go work. I have to go work. I have to pay my bills uh, or, you know, uh, I, I have to run today. Uh, you know, there are, so it's like almost like a, a burden on my shoulder. You know, right. uh, it feels like life itself is a, sh- a big burden and we, you know, we have to suffer through it and uh, get it done. Right. right. And, then, and then the only thing, you know, what I loved about the, that chapter was the only thing that you have to do, you know, and I don't, and I, and I don't mean it in a negative way, but the reality is the only thing that you have to do is pass away. Right. right. Uh, and um, so what's the fuss about, right? So at that moment when I was reading this chapter, I was like, man, it's not about uh, what you have to do, but what do I get to do? These are opportunities that I have, uh, and these are circumstances maybe I created uh, by my own choices mm-hmm. that has gotten me where I am, and I get to do it, right? And um, it's like when I was 16 years old uh, or, or 17 years old, I didn't imagine my life would be what it is today. I did not right. live in America. I, I didn't think I would have be having this conversation with you right now. Uh, none of that was in the books, and um, but here I here I am, and uh, so I get to do that. So that's what really moved me fundamentally. That what what happens in my life is a choice. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege um, because you get to do it. So that that's right. what I. I love that. I literally was just having a conversation with a former athlete of mine who I used to coach. And uh, for, for medical reasons, she can no longer run. She can't do high impact at all. And this plays right into what you were just saying. Like, not that she was ever like this, but I'm sure there were times that she thought this. I mean, I thought it. That's why I, I, the realization came to me was, oh, I have to do a 15-miler this weekend. And no, you don't. You get to. And now nothing is more clear than the fact that now that she no longer can, she probably is realizing, oh, wow, when I had, when I had to get up at 7 a.m. and go for a run, no, no, I didn't have to. I, that was a privilege. I got to do that. And I, you know, was privy to this knowledge pretty early in life. And I mentioned it in the book because of the fact that my father was crippled in a hunting accident you know, right before I was born. So 
he never went for a run. <laughs> and like, I'm sure he would have loved to have had to go for a 10 miler sometime. And so that, you know, that's really where I got that whole thing is just listening to people complain about the things that they don't have to do that they are fortunate enough to be able to do. And yeah, some things aren't as fun as others, but it's still, you know, if you have to pay your electric bill, at least you have a house and electricity that you have to pay. You know, you're not living under a bridge or you're not, you know, anything that's, you know, not even that negative, but just like you've got, you've got, you've got something that is amazing. You should, you should be uh, very pleased with that is, yeah. and is was the, the, the gist of the, type of the chapter was for me. Totally, totally. I think it's a very powerful chapter. I'll have to pick up the paper, excuse me here. Hello. So that, that was definitely uh, one of my favorite uh, chapters. And um, the next one was uh, chapter 11, um, which, uh, which is complete then compete. That was a powerful, powerful conversation in that as well. Um, and for me, the takeaway in that was, and it, it happens to me all the time, where I'm kind of settling into something. You know, I start, I start, into, I start something, I, mean, I start running, I started running, and it happened to me. It happened to me where I got settled into saying, hey, okay, you know, what's a big deal? I'll just keep running and wasn't really putting any, uh, you know, unreasonable goals or big goals in front mm -hmm. of me. And, um, and I was getting into a rut. This was like about four, five, four years back. And then I took on a few things and that completely, uh, you know, reinvigorated the whole running aspect of uh, my, my life. And when I read this book and it's like, that makes sense, right? And this, 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 this chapter was all about really, uh, I felt it was all about focusing on excellence as, a, as an idea and excellence as in not something to achieve as perfection, but as a way of life where you're looking to move to the next level ongoingly. Right. right? Yeah. I, I, yeah it, it, you know, obviously the book is not about running, but I, but I am able to, to tie a lot of things to that. And, and it's the, it's the thing with, you know, people would say to me, how can you get excited about someone? You know, I, I've run a 249 marathon. So I am, I am moderately fast is what, you know, uh, what I am. So when I would have someone who would run like a five and a half hour marathon, people were like, well, how can you actually get excited for them? I'm like, well, cause it's their first one. You know, they, they completed this thing. You know, they, they, this is a very challenging thing. Now, if they stayed at five and a half hours, I'm going to get less and less excited because, well, unless you have a physical problem or something that's keeping you from, from leveling up, well, what's the point of doing it? But there's nothing wrong with just completing at first, just getting your foot into the water. And then, like you said, incrementally, or hopefully maybe even better than incrementally, maybe big jumps, get faster, better, stronger, uh, you know, more, more educated at your job. You know, you, you, can't, you can't learn how to write a dissertation until you learn how to read, right? And so, learn, you know, you start with a book on cats and dogs, and the next thing you know, you're putting out there astrophysics. So that was the point was just to kind of really push yourself once you've already got into the pool. Yeah. And it can take any form, right? There of is course. no one perfect way to do it. Going faster is one way to right. do it. Uh, you could go longer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for me, I think going longer uh, was uh, a calling. So I wanted to go do a 50K and then attempt a 50 mile. And 
I haven't completed a 50 miler yet. That's on the cards. And that- I love that you said yet. I love that. Like it's there. Like you're going to do it. Like I hate when people say, I haven't done a 50 miler. Like we haven't done one yet. Like until they throw dirt on your grave, you still can do one is what I always say to people. Whatever it is you want to do. (laughs) True. And so, yeah. Uh, So uh, that, that, that was a- uh, a very powerful chapter, personally for me. And the last one that I want to talk about, I'm looking at just the top three favorites, right? Okay. Um, was the Enjoy the View, uh, chapter 21. Uh, so while all this is there, you know, you're chasing pursuit, all that stuff, what's the point if you miss the fun in the journey, right? Right. So that that was a... A great way. It was, this chapter comes much later, but um, and there are like what? Uh, there are twenty-four chapters, if I remember. And I'm just looking at three chapters. We're talking about three chapters. There's a lot in the book that uh, you'll have to read to get. But that was another powerful chapter uh, in my personal view. And your story in that chapter also was very nice. You'll have to refresh my memory. <laughs> Tell me which story that was. This was your running in the uh, your attempt to run the Panama Canal. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, running along the, the canal in Panama. That was, um, God, I can't believe how long ago that was, that attempt, and I haven't been back yet. But yeah, that, that really drove home for me that, I mean, it's fine to be focused on a goal, and, and, but at, as a singularity, uh, to put on just blinders and everything else, it's, it's a bad idea. And that was, you know, that one really that drove that home for me it was like because I even even in that one particular instance I was I had to focus on one thing and I was missing out some other really cool stuff and so it's fine to to it's fine to not be distracted but it's also fine to kind of look to the left or the right every once in a while and just check what you check what's around you because it's it's amazing that's why whenever people say what's one of your favorite cities to run in I say. I don't know because I can, I can, I've gone to some places that don't have a reputation for being a running city and found something amazing that I was like, I, I don't know why people don't run this or that or something else is because I was trying to, you know, enjoy the view as much as I, as I possibly could. Yep. And uh, you also got a new, uh, there's one book that I, uh, I saw when I was, um, uh, uh, going over the list of books you've written, and this was something to do with running, running with girls or something. I forget the yeah, yeah running with the girls is what it was. It was a it was a collaboration uh, with a with a fellow writer. Um, uh, we, the idea was that we hear stories all the time of the two ends of the spectrum: people that are amazingly talented or accomplished, or people who've overcome the most horrific accidents or, or, or unsurmountable odds, insurmountable odds. But the big fat bell curve is the rest of us. And there's some really cool stories in there. And I wanted to point out how you don't have to have, you know, beaten cancer and AIDS and a car accident to be able to inspire other people. There's a lot of people out there who have just continued day by day to make the right decisions and have been fortunate enough to, to put together a really cool story. And I wanted to highlight those stories. So this was a book of, I think, 17 women that, we, that my co-author and I chose on, uh, to show people what was really cool about that big, fat, meaty part of the bell curve. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah, uh, and and especially for and and one of the things that I'm also personally committed in this show is to bring stories uh, from diverse backgrounds, right? Uh, women, especially, uh, because I think for women, um, I, they deal with some additional obstacles uh, compared <laughs> to us men, right? To say the least, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and when they do these extraordinary, uh, you know, have these extraordinary journeys, it's even more fascinating the stories are just so inspiring so one of the things that i am also committed to is bring some of those stories and there are a few lined up uh, that have some amazing women who oh, good yeah, yeah so great so terrific um, i think um, um, great conversation uh, dane uh, there's so much to uh, i mean you you you're into so many things so maybe we may even have to have you come back another time to uh, explore some of the other things you've been doing I'd be flattered. Yeah. It's funny as I don't, I, you know, most people know me as a runner. It's like the ninth thing in my mind of what I am on a daily basis. I mean, I, I grew up with swimmer. I'm a better swimmer than I am a runner. If you just go by the numbers, but no one cares about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. So uh, anything you want to say uh, as a wrapping up uh, word before we close the call? Yeah, I mean, we are in a unbelievably, almost unprecedented time right now. And I just, you know, I put out this book and it came out like two months before the pandemic hit and it couldn't be more in tune with what I think most people really need right now is to just hang tough and, you know, hopefully with some changes that are coming up soon, we'll be able to, to, to turn this thing around and just, it's okay to ask people for help. You know, we all need it. I need it. Everybody needs it. You know, and if you just ask around, people are usually willing to provide you guidance. And that's, you know, what I was hoping this book would be was just sort of a, a, a guiding light for people who were looking for something. And if they can find something in one of the 22, 23, 24 chapters, that makes me happy. And so, you know, they, uh, this is what I've been doing now is a few years is, is going to every type of organization that you can imagine. And it's funny how easily the message translates because we're one race, we're the human race, you know, and that's really all that matters. Totally. And uh, I will share your uh, uh, Twitter and your Instagram handles on the show notes so people can reach you. Great. And definitely have people, meanwhile, also make sure that they don't ignore the impossible. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot. Uh, Dane, uh, uh, loved having this conversation and uh, good luck to whatever you are up to next and we will all be following you. Well, thank you very much. Look forward to being back with you. Thanks, Dane. Okay. Bye. Bye.